Are you, do you feel good? I think, I think I'm good. Let's, all right. So what were you talking about? You were telling me something about uh, that St. Louis pizza is the worst pizza I've ever had in my entire life. So here's the thing about St. Louis pizza. Well, the thing that really bothers me is everybody loves it. Like we, you know, I, I was at a bachelor party this weekend. We went and had it. Who is everybody? Who's everybody? Everybody at the party, except for like a couple guys. And then everybody you talk to. And this place was packed with people ordering this pizza. We went to two. I don't even want to say the names of these places. But apparently they were two of the best St. Louis pizza places ever. Like in, in town. Okay. So it's like a thin crust pizza. And I know, I know, I know you're not a big cheese guy. But what I do whoa, know about whoa, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold the hold your horses here, fella. Okay, let's let's not let you know. Should should the rest of in the rest of our lives someday should the, the, these episodes of these shows <laughs> be used as evidence for or against us uh-huh. in whatever trials we find ourselves uh-huh. in? Let it be known, Henry Joseph Bianco the Fourth is a cheese guy. Okay, his body has decided that he's not a cheese to guy. revolt against. This <laughs> okay, fair idea. enough. Idea. My right. favorite food on planet Earth is cheese. Me too. But that being said, uh, St. Louis pizza is clearly it's super overrated. We've been trying to shit on St. Louis pizza for so long and getting you know what really grinds my gears. Tangented. What grinds your gears? St. Louis pizza. Tell me why. Because one, it's hyped up to the point where there's like lines outside of people trying to order it. So I can describe it for you. Yes. Because I, I think a lot of people don't really know um, what it is. Because I've been told that Roots Pizza down the street is St. Louis style, and it's not. It's not at I all. thought I thought Roots was Minneapolis style. I think I might, yeah, style. I might be mistaken. Twin City style, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's the deal: it's like a thin crust Chicago style pizza, or you know, New York style, right? Uh-huh. Super thin crust, pretty crispy. Um, you got the, your standard toppings. You got you know your whatever pepperoni. You don't seem too angry cheese. about the crust. Not angry about the crust at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know that's not the problem. The problem is they put this thing called Provel cheese on it. Ah, uh, yes, I've had this for sure. Do you know about oh, Provel had, cheese? Oh, I do. Yeah. I listen. All can right. wait? Can I tell you what I compare Provel cheese what? to for the listeners who who might not know? Because it sounds like it's a like, fancy like it's white. Like, mel- it's like Velveeta, or bro. It's you know what it is. Did you ever eat SpaghettiOs? Yeah, of course. It's literally the the soup, the sauce that's in SpaghettiOs, and I, that's yeah, exactly the, the consistency, yeah. the the color, the flavor, and the way it sticks to the roof of your mouth like a film. Like it's a film. so nasty. <laughs> We went to two separate places because my buddy who we met there for his bachelor, we, he was like, we got to go to these places. He was all excited. He loves this pizza. I'm like, cool, man. It's pizza. How, how bad could it be? Yeah. I couldn't eat two pieces at you both places. You couldn't eat two pieces. At Holy both crap. Places. And like little square pieces. It was done. Are, were you the only person in the No, there's a couple other guys who were like, this is the nastiest shit I've ever had. Wow. Um, so I just wanted to shit on St. Louis style <laughs> pizza for a second there. I, 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 what I should have really done is tried to order it without the Prevel. And been like, I just want to have your the, pizza without the pizza, on without it? the St. Louis style on it. <laughs> How insulting, right? So I just shut we my app. We officially lost all of our metropolitan. Yeah, and, St. Louis, and I apologize, Missouri, but we are the, we're we're meatballs from Chicago, and oh, we know man. good pizza. Oh, we yeah. know good thin crust, and we know good thick. Because I, so. dude, I agree though. Like I, even even bad pizza has merit. So right. it sounds like you're saying that this is something you just you can't even eat. It was, un- it was I don't know if I've ever encountered pizza that I just like straight up can't eat. I I I would have brought some back for my real pizza friends to try, like yourself. Let's ship it back. I <laughs> it couldn't get any worse. Oh man. 
Yeah, so I just wanted to crap on that for a second. I wonder if there are any St. Louis-style pizza restaurants here in Chicago that I could now go. Because I've been yeah. to St. Louis. I'm positive I've eaten pizza I'm sure. in St. Louis, but yeah. I don't remember having such a Yeah, it was it was terrible. Experience. I will say that the thing they do really well is anything with potatoes. So baked potatoes were outstanding. Anything with like tater tots or um, like stuffed fried potato balls, yeah, outstanding. Stuffed fried potato balls. Yeah, like with cheese and Dude, bacon we're a in couple it. of fucking stuffed fried potato Aren't balls we? right now. <laughs> a couple of potato balls sitting in the sun. Oh, so that's man. it. So there you go. You keep that in if you want so to. So there you go. Holy shit. Oh, dude, of course. I'm going to make that a special Patreon only. <laughs> Subscribers. Subscribe only. and download. We're going to put it on our OnlyFans. I love it. Dude, we should start an, a potato. Should we? A deep fried potato ball. Only fans, only fans, where we just get together and eat. To get, eat dude, I would eat potatoes. potato balls in front of a camera. Dude, amazing. I've been doing a lot of potato cooking lately myself. Have you? Oh man, yeah. yeah, man, learning the ways of the potato. See, and then in that in that sense, I wish you would have been there because you could have tried some other styles. I had potatoes, potato skins, like I've never had in my life. Were what, they? What do you mean, like you've never had in your life? Well, usually they're just they're kind of baked and like these were like baked with all the crap, and then they were deep fried. After? So the whole thing, almost like a carnival style. Like a Monte Cristo? Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. It I was love wild, it. I could dude. get down with a good Monte Cristo. I just ate, and my mouth is watering right Ooh, now. Love it. You know what we haven't done yet? What's that? We haven't even announced that this is a podcast that we do all the time. Uh, Gear Buds podcast. Gear Buds. <laughs> Episode 115 of that 115 episodes of yeah. this shit. Can you believe that there there are people out there I there are we know that have told us that have listened to all mm-hmm. 115 episodes of us being this moronic. I mean, mm-hmm. how's that? Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you so much for I can't I just want to I just want to dwell on that for a second that we are so thankful that people <laughs> even care to enough to Even if it's one person. And Thank so I just want to say, you know, I mean before this episode Dave and I we we jammed a little bit yep. and like got got down on some music and stuff and like we maybe we'll start including that kind of stuff in the podcast it felt good it, it felt amazing if there's stuff like that that you guys want to hear later listening to this tell us yeah. why not reach out let us know what you're what you're liking about it what you want us to do want to hear we'll, us like we'll, learn a cover or something yeah, like oh, that it sounds like you want us to learn a cover I, you know what i just realized what that bass that used to be yours that is now mine that uh, you're playing is sitting behind you and i just like get to look at both you yeah. and that beautiful precision base behind you i, I, I feel like I, I don't ever leave her out or it oh, out. Yeah. i don't have any, we we've talked about this i don't she that she, doesn't have a name no. you know uh base. the base and uh i'm just i'm just happy to be here with you me too man talking to, this is a great great break in my day i needed yeah, this and uh let's dive on into the symphony of corrections here here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes thank you again we were talked about this but thank you again for listening to this follow on instagram and facebook subscribe on the places where you subscribe to things uh and if you do you get to listen to dave post on facebook about such things as a firebird with a stone top on it come on what what, holy what i can't i can't remember the name of the stone now it was uh, agate agate yeah i think that's how you say it yeah agate i have no idea yeah correct us i I have no idea yeah agate the world Correct yeah, please us. correct us. Uh, dude, how did you even find that thing? That was amazing. I've never seen such a thing. It was a Gibson Firebird with a stone Yeah, I, I don't remember. Maybe if through like a reverb email or something, oh, like yeah. guitars you might be interested in or something. <laughs> it knows you so well. Yeah, right? Because um, I click on big, u- ugly, big weird guitars. Guy. Yeah, I do love Firebirds. So mm-hmm. yeah, actually, that's a good question. I don't remember how I came across that, but it had to go up. 
and um, had to go up. Check out the Facebook page. And I believe Stingray is now thing. curious about how to. It sounds like he, he'd be he might his... halfway there to buy that thing. I mean, or, no, or or just manufacture his own firebird right? with a stone top because he's like, I would need measurements on this thing. I, I, I got excited because I thought the whole thing was stone at first, and I'm like, there's no freaking way. Mm, stone um, but it just had a stone top on it, and the rest was just a well, like a 2003 Firebird Sunburst. Check so it out. I cool. believe it was literally from a company called Stone Tone. So yes, if not, you change your name now because uh, there it is. Let's do the catch-all thing. Uh, BFI GFI. Here we go. You sent me a. I guess this is. I think this is a BFI. You sent me a, a thread that a thread. You sent me a thread. A thread. Uh, a thread that really goosed my goose my gander. Oh, the talk base. Uh, the talk base. Yeah. Thread uh, a couple days ago. Someone yeah. just. I think it was just someone trying to. Just get a little, get a little, I don't, I, like, trying to get a little, co- little controversy going. And, and that might be a theme that r- runs throughout this episode here. A little controversy. And I, it got me. Yeah. It, it really, I got, I found myself reading all of the comments. Did you trying, read, how many pages was it? It was 30 pages. Oh, I read, boy. I read the first couple pages. Yeah. And the first two comments were my favorite. Like the first two responses. Really? Well, yeah, they were just like, well, you can say what the topic you is can, first, You can, you can, you sent it to me so you can tell, you can tell the world what this thing was. I mean, it was, uh. It it was is Fender a dinosaur on the way out? Come on, what what are we what are we talking about here? And it was in talk base, so it was about Fender bases, bases specifically. Which, uh, you know, I if you don't want to play Fender bases, that's that's wonderful. I love non Fender bases. Lakeland's awesome. Sandberg's yeah. awesome. There are so, Gibson's awesome. There yeah, are so many non Fender so bases companies. to play. As we're sort of talking about before, I happen it's to have a pretty sitting pretty right amazing one right behind you that. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you say that they're bad? Like Fender's bad because you don't, because you prefer something else, right? Well, yeah, I'm guessing it's. I think a lot of people on that on that forum and probably many forums get a little out of touch with what they own versus what they see everybody with, and I think, or maybe the bands that they listen to don't play those specific instruments. Like mm-hmm. if you listen to like. Um, Bands like Animals as Leaders and like that style of music Ooh. or whatever. Ooh. Amazing bands, right? Um, but you see a lot of like eight string basses and like six string weird stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of like, okay, four string P bass, you know. Of course. That's like a quote unquote pop music thing or something. So. Well, and that's because there's, it's just a limited range compared right. to what you need for that kind of music. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense to me. Of course, you want like long so, fan frets, so long I would scales. assume that the person who wrote that just surrounds themselves with that specific style mm-hmm. of music yeah. that they just don't see it. So in their world, it's like, man, I haven't seen a Fender bass in a while. And it's like, well, you haven't been listening to just you know anything else widen your vision widen your vision and and my you know what my favorite part about it was because it, it really felt like a it felt like it was like just like some like you know i don't know like american or british troll or something and it was actually like a, a 20 20 something year old swedish girl yeah that actually posted the thing that got all of the dads riled up so yeah it was, it was that was it that might have just been a massive troll post and it in that been. in that case kudos man there it is, i guess you know oh man all right here's oh here's one that I guess I'm not sure if this is, this is both a BFI and okay, GFI. Okay, I like some these way. ones. Uh, I, we, I had to say bye bye to one of one of the Lester's, the newest, yeah. the, the newest oldest Gibson that came in and out of my life recently. Uh, you know, was, and I blame the Jazz Master, of course, because <laughs> as we all know, right after I got that guitar that I was excited about, uh, a Fender Jazz amazing, Master. Amazing. So what you're saying is Fenders are moving it; they're on the way out. I'm saying though, I heard. they're bye bye dinosaur grandpa's <laughs> right. guitars. Grandpa's guitars and. Uh, I think it's a GFI man. I mean, I think you get to you get to move forth and and pursue other uh, guitar interests. Yeah. So congrats. and you already have one of the coolest Les Pauls ever. Mm. So you know, I'm glad. Thank you for saying that because yeah. 
as as always happens, no matter what, it was a good deal on both sides of the deal for me and the buyer and the seller in the previous instance, all that good stuff. But I always feel a little twinge of sadness anytime I have a guitar that was in my guitar boat that is no longer in my guitar boat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was just, I was honestly feeling a little sad about it and decided to pick up my Les Paul that, as we talked about, it was, it was like, that was always my Les Paul. The one yeah. that I, when we're when I got that one, I was like, oh, that'll never be my Les Paul. So that's I guess how I decided to sell it. And and I've got a I have, I'm happy to report that you didn't miss it I, too much. Oh, I, that guitar is <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's, yeah, I miss playing. I miss playing because I just play the 335 right. most of the time mm-hmm. these days. I don't. It just it just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. And just to pick that guitar back up and re fall in love with yeah. my probably you know my primary my number one. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that was the thing. I would say if you didn't have a Les Paul in the arsenal, maybe hang on to it a little longer or something, or, or, or try to flip it for a, a no, Les that, Paul you that, like a little that more. That guitar but. that I, yeah, I've got that. That's part of my. I would you ever get one of your instruments tattooed on you? I don't think I'd ever get an instrument tattooed on me. No, just because it's too geometric, and I'd be afraid the artist would They'll mess it up. It up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would. That being said, yes, I would. Would it be the the P or the J? Uh, maybe just like um. A fender headstock, the, the maybe. Memphis, just like that. <laughs> no, it'd be like a, a lawsuit. No, one of those like Russian guitars. When he used really to have weird. the Rickenbacker, uh, the four thousand one lawsuit. Yeah, lawsuit. the lawsuit. Yeah. No, I don't know. It'd probably be the headstock, and then I would have to decide to put precision or jazz bass on it. Mm. So I don't know. Jazz decision. That'd be hard. That'd be a jazz. It'd be a tough de- yeah, precision jazz decision. decision. <laughs> um, what about you? Would you would you get the Les Paul tattooed? Or maybe the three thirty five. Or the, the SG. Let's say you like, like, let's say for you had the best artist in the world who could like pull it you, off. Dude, and check it, it out. What you could do, since they all more or less, yeah, I could get away with just using like one headstock. Mm-hmm. Just um, um, take this little journey with me now, listeners. Okay. Outline of the headstock, right? Going down, neck, 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 and then just one, and that branches off into three. Ooh. SG Les Paul three thirty five, all in the same space. Like a three bodied beast. But it's all on top of each other, so and it's just the outlines. Like a reverse hydra. But all flattened on top of oh, each other. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. the outlines of those. Because oh, the next cool. the next all and the headstock all are all the same, right? Oh, that'd so be you kinda could, like, cool tattoo, actually. Kinda, kinda, Dude, I, I kinda like that I kinda actually. I kinda like it too. Because then you could also get the V and the Explorer and the Firebird, but then you're just gonna talk get a wild cuff on me. But you they could all be different colors, so then you could Ooh, discern them. You could. Hmm. And I've always talked about wanting to get the sort of like seven magnificent seven of gibsons at one point just get the whole the arsenal, thing even though uh, listeners i'm also sorry to report that the, the explorer is currently listed on, <laughs> on reverb as well I, I, it came it's, it's been it, a long time you played coming. it and it went you know oh, man it's such a wonderful guitar if any of you listening want to get the world's coolest it's explorer, very cool and it's lightweight i will add oh it's not that's, too heavy that's the that's a it's lightweight and resonant yeah oh i wish i liked playing explorers more than i do do my 335 SG or, yeah. or, or Les Paul, man. Wow. That guitar is so cool. I just can't, I can't rationalize having that many badass vintage Gibsons. It's just like, it feels ridiculous to me yeah. at this point in my life to have that. Like, who am I to have this like weird collection of guitars? That I only play one of them all the time anyways. And the, that's the thing is a 335. I will never gig with that because there's no awesome case solution for it. Oh, to like, play show and i need my i I require my instruments to be functional in that way and i will never take that thing to a gig like it's just yeah because you're not going to do the hard case thing 
carrying that big stupid hard case around is like carrying around a goddamn surfboard case <laughs> it's so big it's like a piano case it's like so a, big man I, yeah. I like i can't and i can't put it on my back and that's right. what i my other requirement so that's fair do you i mean any any thoughts about the future about what you know what's i'm gonna next? regret it it's the future but but let's uh, say you know let's say it's gone and it goes to a good home and now you're looking, got a little cage to play yeah. with you know are you looking at anything exciting I have, what my what I'm doing right now with that is stacking it with the other things that I've sold and maybe getting something like one awesome thing that I don't know what that's going to be yet. Hell yeah! Probably realistically something recording related because recording mixing is like the it's getting aboard. It's, it's well perhaps something Ooh. in that world. Not a not a full no. like giant <laughs> you know 128 yeah. channel oh, SSL I know. I know uh, automated. To. You know exactly what I'm referring to, uh, but maybe a, perhaps one sixteenth of something like that. You know what I mean? Okay. So it has like eight channels of awesome stuff or sixteen channels of awesome stuff mm-hmm. that then go to two channels of awesome stuff. We'll see. I don't know that, but realistically, it's probably something in that world. I, I bet when you do get it, we'll talk about it on the show, mm. and the the show will be re- recorded and mixed through it. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, cool. So that's that's kind of the idea. There. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be sad, but if it's hey, a bittersweet. go check it out on our on the Gearbuds Reverb Hell Store. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I don't know if you heard about this. Did you hear about Sweetwater's new uh, like showroom headquarters craziness? No. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, where mm-hmm. they're located, Close as I'm by. sure many of you know, uh, forty four thousand square foot open to the public location. They just opened up at this past last week. It's like this like gear mecca which is kind of sort of intentionally ironic in that they're you know very christian but uh dude it is the world uh, they have the world's largest pedal display there which has over 1100 pedals connected at once no like 50 headphone stations that you can check really yeah dude we probably need to head down to fort wayne and check out the old thing it's It's 44,000 square feet wow i don't even know how to imagine that or fathom it that's like bigger than like walmart's and shit is that like 44 of like this this place right now that we're in whoa something like that right pretty close probably yeah i don't know how big how many that's probably a good guess that's a lot of these a lot that's a lot (laughs) well so if anybody's in the area or wants to make a a gear pilgrimage you can now have the place to do it. oh that's super cool Forty-four thousand square feet and you know presumably you set up so you can like buy stuff too which it would be stupid if not it's just like a it can almost be like a giant guitar center in a way right I, yeah, like with less uh, yeah, people like playing stairway, only, and only one of them, I guess. Yeah, it would be. I, let's see if they now make the same mistake and then try to then like <laughs> proliferate off into a bunch of smaller guitar center stores that then are too expensive to yeah. run, and then nobody wants to go to those stores, and then they close down. So don't do that, I guess. Sweetwater, if you're already doing all right, <laughs> don't don't make that same mistake. But I want to check it out. I yeah, me go too. Down there, that's cool. Uh, we already said bye bye to Lester. God bless that Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, may may know, she ride off on the back of a Harley Davidson. The one thing, uh, so I already mentioned. The Les Paul that I have already, I'm I'm very in love with that guitar. It has the same problem, if you can call it a problem, okay. that we've talked about a number of times, as the one that I just sold in 1988, that they're both heavy, heavy bangers. Mm. And I've got to be honest, and this is like, I guess this, I, this might continue to the controversial theme, but it's like, I, I've got, I don't. I'm much less likely to pick up a heavier instrument than even with the nice dad strap on it. Right. than if it's sitting right next to a slightly lighter instrument, I'm like coming to terms with that. 
and feel sort of guilty even admitting it to you in the world right now. Well, uh, you know, and some people will argue that the weight has tone in it, you know, like, uh, that was an argument for decades. Mm-hmm. And then it, not and sure then it became how light. And we're talking about that Explorer and you pick it up and it's super light, super light for what it looks for, for how big it is. Yeah. Expect to pick that thing right. and be like, Oh, that looks like a heavy no, banger. And it's like, whoo, slides it up. right up. Yeah. That, that is very, that is very attractive to me in an instrument. Mm. I can't, and, and it's, and I, and I've only ever, I was thinking about, I've only ever had heavy basses. That's not like the heaviest P bass you're ever like going to play. I think it's like nine, nine and a half. Remember how heavy that T40, that PV yeah. that I had was? Oh my that was like 12 God, pounds. Dude, yeah. it felt like 40 pounds. It <laughs> yeah. was, that thing was Those nuts. are a solid With real sharp edges on mm-hmm. it too. That was just like Slab really edge. extra digging Not the fat. most comfortable uh, oh, bass man. to play. But yeah, I, so, I've got to admit, I just, I was thinking about like that, that was the final nail in the coffin of that, that guitar for me was, I was like, it's just, it's, it's, it's heavy. And right. I, I'll still would rather pick up my 335. Are there like, do you, do you, how do you, do you feel that way? Do you like, would about you, weight? Yeah. About weight. Would I you, like, would you I like gravitate a, towards a lighter instrument? I like a lightweight instrument for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, dude, I, I think my, my jazz bass has a 66 body, so I don't know. It's like probably Alder and mm-hmm. it dried out and old and stuff. That thing weighs like nothing. I think really? that I think that thing weighs like eight pounds. Well, jazzes are definitely skinny boys. Skinnier really neck too, necks. for sure. And then I've I've got a strat that probably weighs as much as that. So um, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wow, man. I, we should. I wonder. I'm very curious how like what the exact weight of your bases I could, are. I could weigh that. I have yeah. a scale at home. Yeah, I could weigh them. All right. And let you know. You know, I've been, that, I realized that like I couldn't. I was like, I I haven't had to weigh an instrument in a while. I just like weighed myself and then weighed myself <laughs> holding the guitar right. and subtracted. Oh, is that? Oh, yeah. You don't have like a just a little. Shipping I don't have one. a little shipping thing. Oh yeah, I got one uh, back in the old days when I was shipping a lot of guitars out. But how would you? Can would that? Could you? Could you put like a an explorer box like in the case in the box? It's weird actually. So you have to kind of stand it up. Yeah. And then the box bottom, you have to have it all in the box and everything. Because yeah. you let's say you're weighing it for shipping right. especially. You have to uh you have to kind of like s- like stand it up and then not touch it for a second and then grab it before it falls over. Um because if you lay it flat, I feel like it doesn't one, it's you wouldn't hard even to be able to see. It's hard to read it yeah. out. And then also I don't I don't know if that's fair because you know, a lot of the weights going to the outsides and yeah. stuff. So um but for that, like you would just lay you can just lay the, if it's just the guitar, you can lay it right on top and it'll Oh, it'll give you a pretty I, I a pretty good weight because yeah i've just like was like oh, i'm gonna get out the old like digital bath yeah. scale and just weigh myself and then weigh the thing but I, I will say this about heavy or light instruments i think it's a personal preference um and i think if you are more comfortable playing a lighter guitar i think you're going to sound better because you're going to be playing it better mm. so you know but well, I, I that's a nice positive answer i like yeah. that good job weight's never really been a thing to me like i've never i picked stuff up and been like wow this is heavy but if i've had to play it at like a rehearsal or somebody brought it to check out mm-hmm. i've never been like ugh this is you know, like there are people on like forums and this and that that are like, I refuse to buy anything over nine pounds. And it's just like, that's just their rule. And I'm like, what if it's oh, the yeah. greatest thing you ever played? Or like call into guitar stores and be like, can you weigh every yeah. single little thing about I'm, this guitar? Dude, I bet me? that happens at CME. A lot oh, too, I like, can tell you that it definitely happens how much does all the it time weigh? there. Which is yeah. fair. I mean, I don't and want that's to, why you have those ship those scales around. You're but, coming yeah. from out of town. You don't want a 20 pound Les Paul if that's what you're going to check out, you know? So oh, 20 pounder. That, that's I think the heaviest guitar i ever remember picking up was the last paul and it was that i, I know i actually I probably posted it on the instagram years ago which is weird to say but true or, or over a year ago more year and a half uh a gold last paul aztec gold with all gold hardware and a gold bigsby on it whoa and it was a last paul custom when did you have that it was at the i don't know it was at the, it was at the store oh it was already the, okay i thought you no 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 it wasn't mine no and no it was at cme 
and it was or no, it was in bullion gold. It was all that gold. Last Paul custom from like the from the custom shop early two thousands probably, okay. and it was the single heaviest guitar <laughs> I've ever picked up in my life. But it was, I mean, the probably the coolest looking. It was all gold, man. Right. All gold hardware, gold bullion gold finish. Last Paul custom, and they're all those are all mahogany, right? A Les Paul custom. Yeah. It depends on so <laughs> that, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it depends on what year, first of all, uh-huh. because a lot of things happen. Some say that the a standard Les, a Les Paul standard, the standard combination of woods is mahogany body, mahogany neck, right. <clears throat> rosewood fretboard, and then a maple cap. Right, right. On the body. Originally, the difference between a Les Paul standard and a custom was they didn't have the maple cap. They were all mahogany. Oh. Well, that has varied in and out for a number of years. Then it's in the 70s at uh, 71 or 2, I think they started doing it. They started using maple necks as mm-hmm. well, which my Les Paul actually has a maple neck, which is like sacrilegious to some people. Maple neck, ebony. Oh, that's the other thing. Rosewood fretboard on a standard, ebony fretboard on a custom. Mm-hmm. So my, but mine has a maple neck, mahogany body, maple cap. Yeah. Oh wow, that's kind of so rare. Different. Right? Yeah, it's rare. So they only did that for a couple of years. Uh, three piece maple neck. Wait, now that I'm seeing maple cap, it definitely has three piece maple neck. I'm second guessing that it has the maple cap. I have to double check that. Either way, it's a heavy fucking guitar, dude. <laughs> and. I, I still like even still as much as I wouldn't want to pick it up because it's heavy. It is my best sounding guitar still to this day. It's wild. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know why I got so hung up on that. No, I mean, weight's a, weight's a big issue for a lot of people. It's worth talking about for me. And, uh, you know, now that means I get to say my two favorite words I get to say every single week, Dave. And those words are Dave's Ducks. Jazzy. Nice job, buddy. Mm. I like that. Very jazzy. Never know it's going to pop out. And I wonder every time if, if it's going to be the first crash and burn. I think I had one crash and burn so far, but it could be I don't worse. know. The one from a couple weeks ago was my favorite. Where you were like, ah. oh, right. it's like the Captain Caveman. Got into it, yeah. <laughs> Captain Caveman. Um, what do you got? Dude, do you like the Black Crows? <laughs> and I'm going to, if oh, I had to wow. guess. I hope that this isn't about the Black Crows. If I had that to is guess. A total non sequitur. If I had to guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just like, well, there was this band around during the Black Crows. Era. Um, they really liked. If I had to guess, you, I, I would guess that you, you've heard of the Black Crows. You know of the Black Crows. You knew they were famous, but you never really got into the Black Crows. That's I understand why you would guess that. I'd say a little. It's close. I own, duh, maybe still do. Shake your money maker. Is that what they think the song's yeah. called? Uh, and it. also the album that they remember they did with Jimmy Page. No, actually, I don't. When did they? They the Black Crows did a record in live, like a couple live shows with Jimmy Page. Oh my god! And it was like. This thing where you could, you either had to be there or you had to do this like special pre-order CD for like forty bucks oh, for wow. a double disc, and it's never going to be available in stores. And obviously, it was available in stores like a year later. <laughs> and I was Shortly real thereafter. bummed out because it had like a couple more tracks, and I paid like fucking forty bucks. Anyways, yeah. So I I like them probably a little. Was that Amorica? No, it was post Amorica. Okay. Uh, later, much later. Okay, than so that, you I have think. some knowledge of the crows. A little I'm, bit. I'm yeah. excited. So the I'm, Robinson bro. 
family band. That so for right off the bat, yeah, family band. Shout out to one of our favorite, Sh- favorite family bands, uh, the Ward Bros. Yeah. Just got a text from Shout one of those Ward boys. Bros. Love you guys. Yeah, love them. Miss them. Um, so yeah, the Black Crows, man. I uh, I watched a. This is pretty. I think this is a pretty good resource for docs too. If you guys ever get stuck and you don't really mm. know, um, YouTube has pretty much every single behind the music up. And I think I've done a behind the music before about I can't remember which band it was, but they have a lot of the bands from the '90s because that's like I think those came out in like the early early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of focusing on all these bands from the '90s and like where are they now type of stuff. How did you land on the Crows? Just randomly, man. Yeah. Yeah, just completely randomly. I kind of hit behind the music in YouTube. Here's the problem with behind the music. You can only, like, I can't do two consecutive behind the music Dave's docs because the, the narrator guy gets kind of annoying. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, then in 95, they recorded. Yeah, so I wasn't a big fan of that. But two brothers started Bowling Green, Kentucky. They were signed by the time they were like 18 years old or something like that. And Chris is the older one. Chris is the, the older. Singer who the was singer. married to Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Got it. Right. And the brother uh, is is rich. And they hated each other pretty much throughout their entire the band career. So Great. they kind of had a uh, Oasis thing going on mm. uh, where they like Ameri- the American Oasis. Yeah. And the, the band's like, well, we're just going to put up with this because uh, we're touring. We're making tons of money and these guys hate each other. But like, you know, we can hang out and like, they're cranking out the hits for us. We're going to ride that train. They are, man. Uh, so I learned a lot of stuff. I did not know that the 1989 record, uh, Shake Your Money Maker, was recorded by Rick Rubin. And I believe it was on his um, record label at the time. And he basically like... Um, I don't, American Records? Yeah. And I don't, I don't even think they got like money for it. I think they got touring. Like they got their touring paid for and kind of all their amenities and he stuff. He was like, yo, I'm going to record you and let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see what Damn. happens. Um, they sold... That ended up selling 5 million records, I think, something like that. And what I didn't know was the first million copies, if you want to know if you have the first million or not, uh, it doesn't have Rick Rubin's name on it. Why is that? He didn't want to be a part of it. Wow. And then he was like, oh, you guys sold a million of these? Okay. Let's put my name on them. So dude, you, we got to bust into we should my look at yours. box. Yeah. I have, dude, it would take us so long to I, find it. I, I will so say, CDs. man, I'm, I really want to buy this record, man, because I think, I think it's kind of cool. The way they recorded it, I think there's songs on there. They just like banged out in like one take. Um, so it was very much slapped together in like a couple weeks. And proprietors of open tunings and non-standard guitar tunings were always a fan of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, and tons of cool vintage gear. I mean, there's like the, you know, the doc had tons of like old strats and, you know, old basses and Les Pauls, you name it, 335s, all that. Dude, all that good stuff. one of the most expensive new guitars ever to be in CME when I was there was a Rich Robinson signature, uh, like master built Gretsch. Really? It's their, whatever the, like what would typically be a white Falcon body mm-hmm. shape, but I think it was like a black falcon actually or a gray falcon maybe and it was a sweet guitar it was like over 10 grand yeah just like a new master built gretsch those dudes have some cool instruments yeah they did it was they they had a lot of cool instrument spotting a lot of the scenes are kind of quick in the movie so you kind of have to be looking Mm -hmm. for stuff but um you know they really lived the uh the rock and roll kind of like they thought they were the Rolling Stones after the Rolling Stones like started doing drugs because mm. like they immediately. Well, here's the here's what I thought was really funny, uh, not funny, but it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Robinson got way messed up, you know, on alcohol and heroin and cocaine and like all this stuff. Like went out of his mind um, to the point where like he was unrecognizable by like the mid '90s. 
and um, his brother was completely sober through their entire career. Really? Every single show, every oh. night, every day. So how about that for like a weird dichotomy? I did not know that. I did not know that either. Um, so I thought that was that was really interesting. Which is why they're like, you know, they could be like, oh, I kind of hate you, man. Like you've got this crazy addiction problem. And then he's like, why don't you loosen up, man? You know, why don't you come do some drugs yeah, with right, us? Exactly. So it was kind of one of those things. Um, they also got famous because they they kind of started to build a following with that first record. They got on a tour with ZZ Top, opening for ZZ Top. And the ZZ Top's tour was sponsored by Miller Beer. And Chris Robinson went on stage and he was like, I just want you to know that th- he was supposed to say this concert's brought to you by Miller Lite. Mm-hmm. He said, this concert's brought to you by the Black fucking Crows. Fuck Miller Lite. <laughs> and they got kicked out of the tour. And, and this was in their hometown, too, by Holy the way. Holy shit. So they get kicked off the tour. And a week later, they're on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Wow. So that was back when you could be like a kind of a badass asshole. And then people loved it. So they were kind oh. of the bad boys of rock and roll. Bad boys. That's um, that, that makes sense why the, the, fam- the famous ladies wanted to date them. Yeah. Getting getting involved in that whirlwind. I mean, he definitely turned into like a kind of like he wanted to be like John Lennon. Like you could tell he had like the little glasses and he grew oh, his yeah. hair out really I mean, long. And beard, heroin, you know, all this oh. stuff. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. They had like five hiatuses throughout their career. Um, Hiatai. That'd be funny if that's how you said that word. Maybe, I don't know. They were one of the first bands ever to end on end up on court TV <laughs> because of some, I, somebody drew a pie chart with like six different names on it. And I think one of the names was somebody, they were going to give somebody like equal shares of their, of everything they own and they all signed it. And then they got, they, they took the guy to court cause he was like, Hey, I've got this thing that says you guys owe me all this money. And they're like, no, we don't. And then they're like a cocktail napkin can't be, you know, like a legal, a legally bound, mm. you know, wow. document. Lucky them, I guess. Even though so they, they probably definitely they said still that. settled out of court and like owed a bunch of money. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And, you know, I would just say um, I, I appreciated them because I think while they had some cheesy songs and they were kind of like a Stones ripoff. I think they stuck to that and they really stuck to like their own style. They never followed like trends of music and stuff. So mm-hmm. for that, you know, for that part of it i thought it was cool that they always stuck to their own style and and everything else um i will say this one last thing uh they had all these hiatuses but they will be playing the tinley park amphitheater on august 7th so they are back together playing again saw pictures of the brothers wait that's it's called to the tinley park amphitheater again whatever it well i don't know the actual because they change it so much i was like whoa that's crazy it's the big amphitheater in tinley park uh for us chicago fans who are listening wow they're on tour so I thought that Good was for the uh, crows. Is it? But cool. are the brothers back together? Yeah, yeah. Because I was waiting to just see one of them, and they're both on the on the cover of the uh, poster. So, so there it is. They realized that they could ultimately just probably make more if they do the crows rather than like Chris Robinson and the Ding Dong. And I'm and pretty Rich sure Robinson and the Chris Robinson had his own solo stuff. I'm they sure they both have. Yeah, of course, they yeah. did their own thing, but they needed that uh, that tension. Now I'm I'm super curious to go back and like we're sort of talking about go back and listen to that Jimmy Page. Uh, We'll have to pop we got to find out what record here. that's on because yeah, it's a whole double live album that wow. I ha- that I know I have on CD. I'm I'm guessing it has to be on like Spotify. Do you know like when it came, was it? Maybe after like the early 2000s because that was kind of when that oh. documentary ended. Yeah, it must have been after that. Yeah, that's the only problem with watching mid, older docs. Early to mid 2000s, you don't know like where are they. Now. I had to like look it up. You know, I'm like, wow, I wonder if they're still playing. Mm-hmm. But they sure are. So that's not. It forces you a little, uh, a little, little extra research. Yeah, yeah, I like it. it so I gave it uh, arbitrary ranking yeah. for. That uh, behind the music, the Black Crows <laughs> on YouTube, uh, on YouTube, uh, totally bootleg. Eight out of ten money makers. Mm, shake them, shake them, baby. Nice man. Let's dive into Future Gear. That was a that's great. That's a great Dave's doc. Really nice. It's a fun one. 
a real fun one. Uh, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? We got some updates here. Here's something I sent you a link. Uh, you were drunk in a bachelor party this weekend. You may or may not remember yeah. me sending you this. That uh, I'm, again, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna kind of stick with a, a, some slightly controversial themes here. This did, that that PRS amplifier that I sent you. Do you remember this? Mm, nope. I don't think you do. This is great. I get to tell you about it again for the oh, first yeah. time. So Paul Reed Smith. We all know we mm-hmm. we love we love the brand. They're just not always our, we're talked about. Not always our favorite things. I hate that it's just going to be chair. constant punching bag, but it's not that meant to be that. No, because no. I feel kind of I feel conflicted about it, and it's controversial. Maybe it shouldn't be controversial, but it is. Paul Reed Smith has released a signature Jimi Hendrix amp. Now I'm starting to it's starting to come back to me. What? Why? It's How? Starting to, it's starting to come back to you. I bet. Yeah, because that's, that's so a traumatic. St- that's so thing strange. To, weird. Uh, so story goes, and I've watched all the videos and the things now, so I feel like I can okay update you on this. Enlighten me. Amps are the HX50, HX100, 50 watt, 100 watt amps. And uh, what happened was is somehow, oh, at the, what used to be called the EMP, the Experience Music Project is now called something Museum of Pop Art or something like that in Seattle. It's an amazing, amazing place. It's I've talked about it on this show before where I got to actually see and be like you know within inches of Jimi hendrix's woodstock strat and like how that was more important to me than seeing the mona Mona lisa at the louvre well uh at the same place now they and i've seen it there they have hendrix's woodstock amp and that was one of his like main touring heads a 68 marshall super league 100 uh you know just like the marshall plexi amp of that time yeah and for one, somehow they allowed, they gave it to Paul Reed Smith and his main amp tech to like go through and learn every single possible little thing about it. So now they like recently they gave it very to recently. Okay, and they went through every single component and you know all that shit. And now you can buy the signature again. I want to double check the HX50 and HX100. There's a 50 watt and 100 watt version. That you can now buy. And these and are on, heads, right? They're heads, and on the back, and they have like four twelve matching heads sure. with cream backs. And on the back, it even has it has the like experience Hendrix logo on there, and you know That's Jimi Hendrix's cool. signature. But this is this is, is that cool? I have questions. Yeah. Why PRS? They don't even really make amps, do they? They they do make amps. They're okay. not known for their amps. This might be sort of their way their way at trying to make like a big splash Breaking with amps amp. right now. I'm just surprised one they just didn't go straight to Marshall for it. That's that's an interesting. I wonder if it has friend. to do any with anything with people owning the rights to like Jimmy's name and all that stuff. Of course it does. They're, yeah. they're the only ones that can grant right the permission. Right. Hmm. I and mean, this has been a big thing throughout year, the years. The, of, I just think of so many builders that it would be. And I'm not saying this is a bad sounding amp. I'm sure it sounds great. And it's possible that it's, it, to make the argument that Paul Reed Smith might be the right guy because his amp guy is this genius. And Paul's Paul right. is a very smart man. I've heard him talk, and yeah, you know, I'm not in no way would I. I'm not talking about him as a person. Mm-hmm. It just seemed so strange to me to, to hear about this signature, like posthumous after the dude's been dead for like one of the most famous 60, guitar players 50 of all plus time. years yeah. to get then like a signature amp that like, you know, for a company that <clears throat> didn't exist for like decades until mm-hmm. after he had died already. That is, it's interesting. Like the concept of just posthumous signature gear in general Ooh. feels uh, strange to me. <clears throat> but you know, I'm, I, do you have a, a take on it? Like a- my take is that I've, I've watched a bunch of the demos and listened to him talk about it and good players play it. And it sounds fucking dope. Of course. Cause they're not going to make, he doesn't make anything that sounds bad, you right. know, 
uh, it just in general, the whole idea struck me. It felt, it felt, Ooh, it just felt strange to me. Wow. I guess I've never thought about the, uh, the posthumous thing where it's like, Hey, you know, here's a A signing. Yeah. Here's the, the it was 50 50 years ago, right? 1971, I think, or maybe 71. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure. 50 years ago. It was a long, long, long time. Um, yeah, man. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, I guess we're just doing takes here. Yeah. I mean, hot take, take. hot take. I mean, that's the show. I, I it sounds amazing. They're very expensive, uh, you know, and they're like three thousand dollar range. I think. If if you, okay, here's here's a here's a question for mm. you. If you could have anyone design an amp after you pass away, mm. who would you? What company would you want that to be? Oh well, I think that's kind of easy for me because there's only I I happen to know someone that I consider to be a genius amp builder who knows what I like in amps. So. Right. I, I mean, it has to be Balthazar delay of Absolutely. Balthazar <laughs> audio. Yeah. As systems. it came out of my mouth, I was like, why did I ask? Yeah. You? <laughs> uh, but you know, hopefully he would, he would work in beyond. He knows what I love about his amps and right. like work in other things that he knows about me or whatever yeah. to like make it the, the perfect thing. Right. It's just like the re repackaged 50 basically. Cause it's, I mean, that is like the perfect. That's the, yeah. With enough, just like give me an active buffered effects loop in okay. there. And maybe if he could somehow figure out how to get, even though it would, and we've talked about this, it would change the circuit to get the reverb from the cabaret 13 into the film noir 50 for me. So I yeah. can have reverb trim. 50 watts effects loop hi had room but also I, I i don't mind the master volume build that way that he does it so you can still crank the preamp and get yeah. some of that saturation so oh yeah. yeah that's what i want that's all i need forever yeah this is still i, I didn't yeah i didn't really what do you who i mean who would make yours you, oh, you know i have to ask you um i think orange would be really cool Oh yeah, baby blue Telex, like the eighty uh, two hundred style, or yeah, eight, yeah, eighty four hundred, bro. Four, four. wait, there's, there's be, a four hundred. Oh, no, that's a Sig. My, that'd be mine, bro. Dude, double the power. Oh, stereo. And I never even turn it up that loud. It's just like no, always turn it. There's no master volume that on that. It's just there's it's no just volume on and off. Yeah, yeah, it's just, hell yeah dude. <laughs> and it's not a button. It's like a big fucking throw. Yeah, you know, like it, like it, you're electrocuting oh, someone like a, like a like big a, switch. <laughs> Got in the wall like executioner style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Orange. I'm still like that's still swirling with your, in my brain. Yeah, with your baby blue. Yeah, with the baby the baby blue mm. SWR Tolex that I put on. Yeah. Is yeah. that? But is that? S, where did the to, was? Oh, it I S, bought it through. No, I bought it through a company. Um, I just I was thinking of the the, the brand. Cap, the yeah, brand right. of the cab was SWR. I don't remember where I got that Tolex. Uh, just online. Just Google. It like, wasn't like colored. Gucci leather or something. No, but that's not a bad idea. All right, dude. I want to talk about something else. Okay. This is like I want. I'm loving this. Might, this could turn into me sort of rambling a little bit so i want you to interject so i was watching i don't know i was watching some netflix special about spies and and just casually offhand in one of the like just like throwaway sentence in the middle of this much larger thing they mentioned this device called the thing which i don't know if you've ever heard of this stop me if you have or haven't at any time also known as the great seal bug and it was one of the first, you know, a bug like in Spycraft where you'd like put a little microphone somewhere mm-hmm. and be able to listen to stuff. It was one of the first bugs to use passive techniques to transmit an audio signal, which is crazy. This is So this is in August 4th, 1945. Oh, wow. The USSR concealed inside a gift given by the USSR to our U.S. ambassador. They, they put a device and 
uh, it needed electromagnetic energy from an outside source to become energized and active. And as such is considered the precursor to RFID, RFID technology. Like, you know, like when you've got like a little chip and something, you can just like wave it up or whatever and mm-hmm. does the RFID thing. They figured this out in the forties. So I'm going to tell you about this a little bit. They presented this bug. It was a carving of the great seal. So 1945 for those paying attention, that was when world war two ended. So yep. it was like, this was the symbolic gesture from the USSR to be like, Oh, by the way, like we're happy that we were the, like we allied as like the Soviets in the United States <laughs> to like, like fight against the Germans and shit. We're going to give you this gift. And it was to the, uh, ambassador Harriman as a gesture of friendship, uh, as war allies, they hung it in the ambassador's Moscow residential study for seven years until they figured it out in 1952. So the Soviets spied on our ambassador for seven years at, through this like, yeah. gift thing, through the, then, this thing called the thing, right? But then they presented him with it. Then they're like, "Here you go." In 1945, we're friends. Hey, we're gonna like we're gonna like uh, cement our friendship. Here we're gonna we're gonna spy on you. And then we didn't <laughs> figure it out for seven years. Well, whoops. Yeah. So uh, it consisted of a, tisi- a tiny capacitive membrane connected to a small antenna, which uh, Steve Speakers Holland, if you're listening to this and when you are, this antenna's for you. Uh, for seven years, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. It had no power, su- it had no power supply wow. or active electronic components. It's a passive cavity resonator. It only becomes active when a radio signal of the correct frequency was sent to the device from an external transmitter. So it has to be like sort of activated. And uh, sound waves pass through the thin wood case, striking the membrane and causing it to vibrate. The movement of the membrane varied the capacitance seen by the antenna, which in turn modulated the radio waves that struck and were retransmitted by the thing. Hmm. Our receiver demodulated the signal so that the sound picked up by the microphone could be heard, just as an ordinary radio receiver demodulates radio signals and outputs sound. Who designed this, Dave? That's fascinating. Who do you think designed this? Aliens. Leon Theremin. Oh, no shit. The man that makes we sense. all know for having invented the Theremin instrument, yeah. also for the Russian government, designed the thing that we that they then spied on <laughs> the United States with for, for seven years. They just casually tossed this fact off in this middle of the thing. I was like, Leon Theremin. Did you like pause it and like ha- like research all this? I I, pa- I immediately pulled up my phone, yeah. just searched Leon Theremin, and then later went and learned about it. Was Theremin an American? No, he was a Russian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, but, so the, the existence of the bug, it was accidentally discovered, by the way, in 1951 <laughs> by a British radio operator who's at the British embassy and overheard American conversations on an open like Soviet Air Force radio traffic wow. channel as no they shit. were beaming radio waves to the ambassador's office. So they, he was just like listening and, fi- and accidentally heard our like conversations. Right being transmitted on a Russian station. Do, do they say how far away like the transmitter has to be from the actual device? Because that I would be hard to hide as well, well I would assume, it, right? So here's the thing. If you can make the if you can make a powerful enough signal, like could radio be, antenna, those Yeah, I mean, it could be my, like well, far away. Yeah, far away hidden in a And you, I mean you might hear like a little hum or something, but it's right. not gonna like it be a long a long thing. Oh shit. So an American State Department employee was then able to reproduce the results using an untuned wideband receiver with a simple diode de- detector demodulator, similar to like a field strength meter. The FBI then gets involved. They're able to get the thing working uh, with uh, an, what they call an illuminating frequency of 800 megahertz. So high, you know, higher than we hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, the generator which had discovered the device was tuned, which um, 
originally originally discovered the, devi- the device was tuned to 1800 megahertz so this is a vi- that's a very wide band that they were able to use to just turn it on so basically they were able to turn it on whenever they want at any wow. time to and we would never know that's wild. Uh, the simplicity of the device it caused initial confusion during the analysis uh the antenna and resonator had different it's several resonant frequencies in addition to the main one because like you know you think about you're like playing a d note on your bass when you're recording it or whatever and you see the wave like it jumps a bunch of times those are all the different resonant frequencies so like any frequency is going to have a bunch of different resonant frequencies in addition to its main one and the modulation was partially both amplitude modulated and frequency modulated to get super nerdy about it so i didn't even know there was that kind of technology back then yeah and still and so the cia of course they like got super into this idea like we figured it out because of them they're like oh shit we discovered this so then we ran a secret research program at the Dutch Radar Laboratory, which is called NRP, in the Netherlands from 1952 to 1967 to create our own devices like that using dipole antenna with a, de- detect- a detector diode and a small microphone amplifier. So like same type of idea, but they kind of took it up to the next notch. So yeah, uh, that stuff exists. If wow. You, if you really want to get controversial uh, with a microphone technology and antenna, you right. can do it, man. I mean, I'd, I had heard of like, you know, uh, like stuff about bugs in like you know mm-hmm. like in the you know 40s and 50s and stuff but i guess i didn't realize it wasn't powered check, i just never really thought check about your it. if you receive a, a wooden great seal <laughs> yeah. as a as a token <laughs> of friendship from a, an allied nation right perhaps scan it for metal objects embedded inside it i guess right yeah, like yeah. How do I, you, you got to get a bug detector Radar bug. There it is. Radar bug. Radar bug. Dude, that's fucking cool, man. I was like, maybe not even, I feel like I wasn't even paying close attention to this show. And then all of a sudden, I just feel the I was like, huh? Gerbuds? And then I felt like I just wanted to share. I know, that's super cool, man. One last thing, little last piece of gear news. Okay. I just wanted to talk about it. Keep the controversial theme going. Behringer has just announced and released another huge set of clone synthesizers this time more moogs uh they've cloned the what they've called the system 15 35 and 55 which are essentially clones of like giant different giant moog modular systems from the past and and sort of current but not really Mm -hmm. uh production lines um they're massive they're like the you know picture that little eurorack thing that i've got right there the, the smallest one of those is probably like three times that size mm-hmm. and then you know it grows probably by double each time i've you seen take the ones that up. are like you know five feet tall or something. and it's all the same and it's all but they've they've made it so it's all euro rack compatible and stuff now we'll check this out the prices are normally like i, I couldn't even find reliable pricing find on one, the yeah. mode ones um you know you're talking i think like on the low end uh like 35k or so like like thirty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars uh the now the pricing for the system 15 35 55 from behringer are 1600 2300 and 3600 so basically like it major 20 a, a divided by 20 you know one <laughs> twentieth. Right, right. wow they're the, and these are i mean they're di- they're not hiding the fact that these are direct clones of this moog stuff and they look like identical identical but now they're euro rack compatible rather yeah. the moog has their own format and size and stuff how do they not get like sued you can't patent a circuit oh and you can d- patent design but i think because of how the statute of limitations is sort of the thing with those mm. also 
Behringer is a massive, massive company now. And Moog is a much smaller, entirely employee owned company, you Mm -hmm. know, so they can't even really go after them. And it's not like they're the only company that they've cloned. I mean, Behringer has cloned Korg and like Roland and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. they've gone after the big boys too. So, Hmm. well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm torn on that because mm-hmm. I feel like it's really cool to have accessible gear for somebody who wants to mess around in yeah. their place and make music and anything. I've, I've said this a million times on the show. I think anything that encourages somebody to make music is, is okay with mm-hmm. me. Um, but you know, that sucks that they have to rip it off that specifically. You know? Yeah. It's weird. It's so, it's especially about a company that, you know, I have a sort yeah. of sentimental fondness for yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, love their gear. Yeah, it's are you, it's, see, are it's you secretly going to buy one? And we never. Talk I don't know. About see, it. Well, I bought the. <laughs> I bought when they cloned the the D the Model D, and we talked about that. And you said it had some flaws. It had and some flaws, and so I that ultimately sold it. You get what you yeah. pay for, sort of thing. And I'm, I have a feeling this probably will too. You know? I I don't know. I have a feeling though that they they have been getting that was their first clone that they made, right? So I I, I suspect that they've gotten better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you're, if you're selling something that's like $3,600, granted that's a clone of something that's like, again, probably like $70,000 or something or a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, the pitch button should work. It'll, it should all work. And it also, they've also added like the modern ability to use MIDI and stuff like that. Whereas the Moog stuff you had to use like special controllers and that kind of thing. Does anyone else make stuff like that besides Moog? And it not a direct copy, but like something that's. Oh, like Behringer's copy, man. Yeah. Well, Everyone, like, are there companies that make tons? Um, there's tons. Everything, not a specific copy. Of this everybody Moog, but, mo- copies the Moog filter, right. or the ladder filter. Everyone copies certain things about you know. There are certain things that f- people figured out and like how to make them g- good, and then it's like, oh, that's just like the best way to do it. So there are there are ways to innovate. But to your point, yes, there are not like directly just like straight up ripping off. Like if you wanted to go out tomorrow and and not spend the money on a Moog setup but mm-hmm. you wanted the same thing like do you know what brand there are diy solutions for that sort of thing more so like yeah. where you could like f- learn how to build that shit yourself and right. buy clone parts and that kind of thing for sure less so with companies behringer the first and which is why it's ruffling so many feathers behringer the first ones that have just like kind of done it market, because it, like i said you can't patent a circuit that's right. just like a, a legal thing so Damn. um that's why there's every it's the same thing that happened in the pedal world like every pedal is a clone of a tube screamer or whatever it is like they're all the same thing the same circuit does moog still make these that's the thing not really no See, but so some some partially yes partially no but not not like ex, the exact setups yeah. no I, I i do have a, a controversial opinion on if if something if something isn't being made anymore and and you want to get something like that you know, I think you should have the ability to purchase something like that. So one way you're, but purchase it new specifically. New. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking brand new or maybe on the, you know, secondhand market, mm-hmm. like, but something from a recent time period and not just I, like the I, I understand that feeling. I kind of, I think I agree, honestly. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know. It's a tough one, man. Cause geez, I don't know. Like, I don't think them making this is going to sink. Isn't going to put Moog out of business because they're not producing these. If they were still producing them for a reasonable price, then it would be mm. kind of kind of messed they, up. They do make their own modular stuff still, then right? It's, but it's just like a slightly different thing. Mm-hmm. And but the, I guess yeah. So it, maybe it's if Behringer were literally cloning every single product that Moog has ever made and currently makes, well then yeah, that's. I mean, I would have to be. Oh like, yeah, let's go fucking burn that place down. Yeah, heavy blade. But like yeah. yeah, the Moog Moog makes a bunch of synths and new stuff that Behringer doesn't you know clone so it's sure it's it is it is more of a focus on the classic i wonder if this will be a trend though and if they'll keep 
you know, kind of doing. Oh, it's already a trend because this is probably like the third round of new, like they've done, they did the first one with the Model D and then like there was like a, a handful more that came out and then there's like even more at the same time they came out. So I feel like this is sort of like the third round or fourth round at this point of them being like, yeah, we're just going to clone everything. We're cloning the world. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's wild times. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like I, I guess I, I don't really have a problem with it in the sense that, like I said, they're not, they're not out they're not just undercutting these guys by being like, oh, we're just going to make this exact same thing that you guys have mm-hmm. and, and sell it to more people because, you know, that would be that'd be pretty right. messed up. But uh, but yeah, whatever. I mean, whatever can get somebody inspired to go make some music. I, you know? it, it, I have a much be- more likely chance of getting my hands on one of those systems right. than I do on the real deal. I and and I would like to I would like to get my hands on one, you know, and I like I like the Eurorack I'd stuff with it. I'll definitely twiddle it. But I've also gone and visited the Moog factory and twiddled yeah. the Keith Emerson's actual Moog system That's there so and cool. stuff. You know, like wow. they so I've i I do have and own and have owned a lot of Moog stuff. And I think more the people who know know that like if you want the real thing, you're gonna have to find it. Yeah, know? but if you want like ninety percent of the thing for like one point zero five percent of the cost or whatever it is, no, we, it's not We talk about 5. this a lot with like microphones, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, Where's it like that getting that accessibility into the hands of the music makers and but it's it's interesting because do you then if that's the argument is it about getting the tools in your hand like do you need to have the ex- do you need to have every single component set up in the exact same way as the Moog thing or could you just like make your change own URX system and change yeah. it up a little no, I, yeah, agree. I don't know yeah, that's I interesting agree. that's interesting that's all I got man wow, I, feel like, shit. I feel like we did it oh yeah so if you made it this far and you and you just really thank you, thank uh, you. We, we were so thank we're so thankful that you listen to this shit and uh, now go make some music <laughs>